the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. With great power comes great responsibility. Of course, that's Uncle Ben. Spider-Man's uncle, not the not the rice guy. Uh, he's probably not the first person to say that. It could have been maybe Winston Churchill or Theodore Roosevelt or maybe some guy during the French Revolution. I'm not exactly sure. But who cares about sources anyway, right? Or responsibility for that matter. The media certainly doesn't seem to. Here to tell us about the consequences of the 24-7 news cycle and how to protect ourselves uh, is the author of the book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator, Ryan Holiday. Ryan, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me and a disembodied head. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a great job with your, your hand gestures there. It's very nice. Um, you, uh, you, you have such an interesting life uh, and what you've done so far. Let's start at the beginning here and, and tell people kind of how you came across this and what you've been doing with the movie, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Well, so I, I started, I was a, an assistant, or I guess, or a, an apprentice under the author Robert Greene, who wrote the book, The 48 Laws of Power. And I sort of learned historically how uh, media has always been manipulated and information has been manipulated. And then I ended up working for a number of really controversial clients. I worked for Tucker Max, who was a sort of an early blogger. You might call him the sort of first Milo. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I worked. I was the director of marketing in American Apparel. I've worked for a, a, a number of sort of big companies that um, have basically decided that they don't care what you say about them as long as you're talking about them. And it's a, I think, increasingly become a common media strategy. Yeah, I mean, here you're talking about how essentially the media is manipulated to get stories into my living room and onto mm-hmm. my phone. Um, and one that completely worked on me, you explain it, and I didn't know this, you know, I, I'm a guy who follows politics all the time. Tim Pawlenty seemed like a candidate that came out of nowhere. And, and as you explained in the book, he kind of did. Yeah, yeah. If you if you look at uh, in the 2012 uh, election cycle so long ago now, I almost sort of... Uh, miss it fondly it was it was media manipulation at i guess a a a less ominous level but you can see how um blogs and the you mentioned a 24 7 news cycle it's really much more than that right Mm -hmm. um if you think about the online media cycle it has the capacity for an infinite amount of content and each additional piece of content that it creates is money in it their pocket right more page views equals more dollars there's an infinite amount of advertising space as well so what we see then is is infinite amounts of content and and candidates are sort of manufactured out of whole cloth. Look, I don't want to make this all about Trump, but it is interesting. Trump had been talking about running for president 
um, mm-hmm. since I was born. His first his first exploration was in 1987. Um, every election cycle, he sort of kicked it around, but his campaign never really became serious. Um, it was only in 2015 and 2016, with this sort of current media cycle that we have, that the the joke is made real, so to speak, right? So it, there are media manipulators out there. There's people like me who are trying to force a product or a an idea into the news. But I also want people to realize that the infinite, insatiable demand for content means the media kind of is not only in on it, but might even be manipulating itself because it's good for business. Mm. You break it down really well in the book on how you actually do this. Um, and it's more relevant than ever, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, how to turn nothing into something. How do you do it? Yeah, I call it trading up the chain in in the book. And and this is uh, this is something that has existed in, in media basically since the early 1900s. The invention of the news wires is sort of where this first happens. But um, a little outlet, a, a tiny blog, um, a subreddit, uh, a, an insignificant Twitter account, a Wikipedia page, whatever it is. Um, since since there's such there is this insatiable demand for content, and it's not as if reporters are out there literally pounding the pavement looking for good leads. They're not sort of independently investigating what they write about. What they look for is sensational things that are appearing online. So somebody launches something on Reddit, Trump injects something into the system via Twitter, and then one outlet picks it up, another outlet picks it up from them, another outlet picks it up from them. And what you get is this uh, seemingly bogus piece of information or suspect piece of information has now been written about so many times that it becomes, in effect, true. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, here at The Blaze, we've been victim of this and, and I'm surely have violated this as well. I mean, I think every media organization has gone through this and it's, it is a struggle. Um, sure. Uh, you bring up actually one headline near and dear to our heart here at The Blaze, which was Glenn Beck uh, raped and killed a young girl in 1990. Um, and, you know, that was something obviously completely ridiculous. But because people didn't like Glenn at the time, they decided mm-hmm. to promote this. And major media, you know, organizations were, you know, putting this in headlines with question marks at the end as if that sure. made it okay. There's a question in the headline. The answer is always no. <laughs> um, because if it, was, if it wasn't a question, they wouldn't pose it. If, if there was an answer, they wouldn't pose it as a question. Mm-hmm. If I were to call you a douchebag right now and you said, no, I'm not a douchebag, You've now been the, the word douchebag has now been said about you twice, right? <laughs> so, so, so there, there's actually something that scientists have found called the backfire effect. So, when when if you give people false information and then you explain to them why it's false, they actually believe it more than people who were only given it once. And so, what happens is the more these things are repeated, um, even in the process of debunking, right? How many how many times do we have to hear that? Uh, vaccines are not linked with autism. Um, mm-hmm. And and yet we continue to see actually the rates of vaccinations decline because the it, it's it's like it's the same it's the same power of a meme, but used to destructive ends. And I think I, I think you could also make an argument that these sort of destructive memes harm certain individuals, like individuals who play by the rules. And they actually um, then it creates uh, not unlike antibiotics, it creates superbugs who are essentially immune to these things altogether. Right. What it, there, there's almost nothing at this point that you could accuse Donald Trump of that would that would not bounce off him as he says, you know, you could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue there. There's nothing you could say about the cast of Jersey Shore that they wouldn't 
thank you for saying about them because their entire business model is around getting attention. I will tell you, I've definitely been called douchebag more than twice. So you're just adding onto the pile at this point. Um, you talk about this problem uh, of trying to correct these things. And, I, you know, I don't know how you do it because you, you, you tell the story about you, were, you worked at American Apparel uh, and you, th there was a, a situation that went on there with nail polish, made in America nail polish. Can you walk us through that story? Yeah, so what happened was uh, we put out this line of nail, nail polish and there was, a, there was a problem with the bottles. They, they were reacting poorly to the halogen lights in the store. So we make the preemptive step to recall all the, all the, the nail polish and we send out a letter to the, the employees and we say, look, um, don't just throw these in the trash. That would be bad. Uh, it would be bad for the environment to throw this away. And uh, a Gawker reporter finds out about it. I believe it was for Jezebel. And, you know, she, she writes, uh, you know, is American Apparel's nail polish toxic? And so there you have the question again, right? She's not owning the claim, but she is insinuating it. Um, and, and again, how, you know, w another sort of typical blog tactic is, hey, we're running this story in five minutes. Do you have a comment, right? <laughs> so your comment, if, your, your comment, if it was if actually solicited, would be, um, here, let me show you why you shouldn't run this story altogether because it's totally baseless. But they don't want that. They want to be able to run the story. So um, they end up running it. It actually, uh, it, you know, it hurts the company. It, it drives the nail polish manufacturer out of business. Um, and there's a, effectively nothing you can say. Like, if, if, if I say, you know, it, uh, did you rape and murder a girl in 1990? And you go, no, I didn't rape. A, I didn't do that. This is preposterous. Then, then you can go, um, that's exactly what you would say, right? <laughs> or um, where's your evidence, right? You're, you're being forced to prove a negative. And so, um, you know, I, I guess what I would say is think about it this way. Um, you wouldn't want a reporter writing about something to have a financial interest in the company. You wouldn't want them to own stock in General Motors mm -hmm. and then be writing about General Motors. Well, what about when that writer is paid on how many page views their story gets or their, their performance is judged based on their page view? You could argue that each story is sort of its own stock, right? And so their conflict of interest is not in the subject matter per se, but it is in writing the most sensational, um, click-worthy version of that same story. Oh, wow, that's a great way of looking at that because it's true. You're so invested in whether, I mean, because, you know, we you know, we work at a website that, that uh, news stories, I know uh, I have a lot of friends who, who do the same. They've got chart beat on the wall showing each sure. story with the exact amount of ac you know, people clicking on it at any given time. I mean, it's intense. It's an intense world. The churn is constant. And, you know, the incentive is write what you have to write uh, within some very loose guidelines to get as many clicks as possible. Yeah, and, and compare that to say, like, so I write books, right? I write, uh, I spend a year or two years of my life working on a book. I know people are paying for it up front. I know if they don't like it, uh, they're going to return it or they're going to give it a bad review. All these incentives that are checking me from being sensational and thinking short term. And then also with the book, look, if it doesn't sell in the first week, maybe it'll sell in the second week or maybe it'll sell 10 years from now. But if you think about how an online writer is is, is judged, it's... Um, it's, did this get traffic right now? How many social shares is it getting right now? You mentioned Chartbeat. People don't understand Chartbeat, it's literally a, a speedometer that's on a giant you know, TV screen in most newsrooms. And it's like, it's, it's almost like if, 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 the, if, if, the bus, if the bus goes below 60 miles an hour, we're all gonna die, right? It's like, <laughs> like they have to keep it going. And, and you know, the writer isn't thinking, hey, I'm gonna write a piece. It's not gonna do that well right now. 
but it's going to do a thousand views a day for the next 10 years. So, you know, they're, they're already going to move on to a different outlet. They don't get paid for how their stories do over the long term. A newspaper it, 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 under the old economics had subscriptions. So there's a contractual relationship between the reader and the publisher. And if, if they, you know, deliver enough crappy newspapers to me, I'm going to say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I think we our incentives are a little bit more aligned there. So I actually see the rise of paywall. I see subscription. I see I see some positive signs, but it still is alarming that, you know, this journalism is free, but it's not without cost. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. 